All right, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Black Men Unlearning. I'm your co-host, Edwin Lee. And I'm your co-host, Kyle Brooks. Kyle, what's good, man? How you feeling? feel like we're on the, man. On the precipice man. of a good weekend here. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, you know, it's birth- birthday weekend coming up for me. Listen, so. it's, it's July 4th, and I only celebrate one holiday on July 4th, and that's Kyle Brooks's birthday. That's that's it. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> only, yeah. only Brooks we acknowledge is Kyle. <laughs> that's it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Man. So on this episode, we're um, we're gonna talk about game. Like, what does it mean to have game? How do we learn about it? How do we get here? Uh, and so, Kyle, like, I'll start you off because I feel like there's so many places that we can go with this discussion. Um, how how did you get introduced to the concept of game and what did it mean to you? Uh, maybe probably in your earliest conceptions of it. So my earliest conceptions of game, I would say they have to emerge from social interactions at school and at church. Mm. So I spent a lot of time, my, I've talked about it before. I was a preacher's kid. So I was at church all the time. My church had a school, which I attended. So I was there all the time. And so my social interactions, particularly with young people were around youth group church and my other interactions with my classmates. And it was a small enough school that everyone knew everyone. I remember less less about games specifically, but more about the kinds of social dynamics involved in liking someone and then performing in a certain way to impress them, to make an impression upon them. (laughs) There was, in kindergarten, there was this girl I liked in my class uh the names are not important (laughs) i highly doubt she's listening to this but doesn't matter either way (laughs) and mind you there were literally like a handful of people in my kindergarten class so only x number of people in Mm -hmm. this anyhow i remember distinctly being fond of her having an affinity towards her and wanting to behave or perform in ways that would make me look good in her sight. And this was less game, but there was a kind of intentionality around Mm -hmm. performance. What does it look like to behave in a way that gives you the right kind of attention? With respect to game, I think about really taking cues from my older brother So my older brother, as we were growing up, he had more of a natural charisma socially. He was a musician, had a certain kind of flair, swagger, uh, a confidence certainly born out of being good at his musical craft. And... I saw the ways that girls at church gravitated towards him as a musician. 
I saw the ways that he navigated those interactions through his words, through his speech, uh, through his, his comportment, through his style. And those were really the sort of early stages of me becoming aware of game. And as I would be involved in different things, whether, you know, events during the summer or vacation Bible school at church, you know, you get in these larger groups of young people and everybody's coming from whichever social space or school or whatever. But now you're all gathered here. You're seeing each other a lot more often and you develop a kind of rapport and you start feeling this person and you want to find a way to talk to them more. And you also want to be, uh, you also want to be um, thoughtful about the ways that you are carrying yourself, conducting yourself. But I will say this importantly and then pass the mic, man. One of the things that, that occurs to me is you don't start out knowing what to say. Mm -hmm. You, you kind of figure it, figuring it out or, you know, you're talking to your friends and they're saying, oh man, you know, you should ask her about X, Y, and Z or, man, you know, say this, don't say that or and so it this this concept of game very much emerged for me as how do you as as a boy at that time as an adolescent navigate demonstrating to the women in whom you're interested that you have a certain social savvy that you're cool that you're calm that you're able to carry yourself in a way that makes it seem like you're interested, but not too interested. You're invested, but not thirsty. So that, that was how that dynamic of game really kind of became real for me. How about you, man? It's, it's, it's funny to hear you talk about how early you had an affinity for uh, another kid in your, your kindergarten class. Cause I have a similar <laughs> yeah. story about my kindergarten class and there being a girl in the class who I was particularly interested in spending time with and stuff like that, which, you know, if we go on a little tangent suggests that, you know, we know a lot early about ourselves and the things that we're interested in. And it doesn't really make sense to question children about what they know about themselves because we all are born with a level of agency to understand ourselves and what we like message um that being said uh i didn't have an older sibling i'm the oldest uh and then i didn't have a lot of like adolescent boys around me growing up so i didn't really have anybody to model no one in real life to model kind of my behavior after or to really ask questions about any of that stuff. So for me, when I think about my foundations for developing an idea of what game was, a lot of it was either things that I was picking up from other kids at school, other guys at school, uh, or it was what I was seeing on television, right? And so I do uh, identify a lot with having watched characters on TV shows who were in relationships. When I was thinking about this topic, I thought about the Fresh Prince and like the parade of co-stars that <laughs> Will Smith had on that show. 
uh, that were yeah. his romantic interests. Everyone from Tyra Banks to God. I mean, ultimately, I landed at at Nia Long because in her second stint on the show, she was uh, a long term love interest. Uh, but yeah, like so, thinking about um, what it meant to get someone's attention and kind of the performative nature in which that was done in in the context of that show but in a lot of mm-hmm. shows right like uh if you go to a different world if you think about you know the Cosby show like the motif for adolescent boys was often set around their interest in a girl and somebody you know they could get into a relationship with. And so because I was interested in girls, like I was modeling a lot of what I thought I should do off of what I was taking from those sources because it's not like there was anybody else to tell me about it, right? And so um, Mm. my earliest thought about getting the attention of girls wasn't that complex in terms of what I thought in elementary school. Um, but as I got into, I'd say high school, uh, it became more of something that was often discussed. Um, and I guess that just aligns with the hormones of, of teenage boys. Um, but it, it was, I can remember talking about, uh, who you got to dance with at a dance or, uh, whose number you got. If we were doing like a school trip or or something, or if we went to a party, um, and that being something that I wanted to, I wanted to display to others that my ability to to get a number two, uh, I, I think I, uh, I I identify with watching the wood in high school as well, and and thinking and seeing that kind of reflected that behavior reflected. In, in something uh-huh. like on, on that movie and thinking like yeah that's 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 what I'm doing right um so yeah I think mm-hmm. all of those are kind of those earliest conceptions of what it meant uh to have game and ultimately I think it was not only it, it it's not it wasn't just one thing I think it was a a desire to be desired by someone I desired. And that felt like the process to figure that out. I like this phrase you said, the desire to be desired by someone I desire. Cause right there, I think is the ground for a lot of the the activity and behavior that people display in life, even things that wouldn't necessarily be regarded as game per se. It speaks to something about intentions, about leverage, about negotiation, about the need to prove or to demonstrate worthiness to receive that desire. It's intriguing to me, there there was this really, uh, what became a fairly popular, uh, I believe a New York Times bestseller, this book called The Game. 
and it's written by a guy named Neil Strauss. And the idea of this was that he was talking about kind of the world of pickup artists, people who mm-hmm. make a sort of uh, professional craft out of talking to and gaining the romantic and sexual affections of others. And particularly the the idea, and this this is what one of the, the sort of core ideas in the book, this idea that the man never chooses the woman. All he does is give her an opportunity to choose him. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, I read this and I think, oh, it's it's essentially, I'm like, oh yeah, this is what game is. It's rhetorical judo. It's <laughs> I'm gonna use your momentum against you. It's like, I'm not swinging at you. You just threw this punch and I just leaned this way and I moved my hand like that. And suddenly <laughs> you're falling into my arms, right? Like, what's, what's happening here, right? But I mean, the, but the fact that this book became a New York Times bestseller like, speaks to yeah. this idea that there is a process, there's a kind of science, there's a craft to how one moves from point A to point B to point C to ultimate objective. Yeah. And it it occurred to me that the guys who seem to have the most uh, overt success, or at least were able to achieve the greatest popularity with women, or the ones who seem to have a kind of intuitive sense of what to say and when to say it and how to say it. And the idea is they were able to do this without looking like they were trying too hard, without looking like they were trying to force the issue or being overbearing or being thirsty, but just a way of creating the circumstance the context in which this person can now say, oh, I actually want to choose to spend time and energy with you. Uh, this, 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 this question of desire is fascinating to me because even when I look back to those early stages of kindergarten, I ask myself, what is it that motivated your desires? Because there were a couple girls in my kindergarten class. I wasn't interested in all of them. I was interested in this one. And as I look back, and I, and I, and I imagine this came up in one of our discussions before, either talking about the way that our preferences are shaped over time. Because mm-hmm. um, if I had to describe, you know, this, that kindergarten crush of mine, like, she was, I mean, every well, everybody's kind of petite in kindergarten. Some kids a little huskier, you know, big boned, whatever. Nah, husky, Lots of different body types, right? Husky is a word of the 90s, boy. Like, <laughs> it like, really is. <laughs> the boys' husky sex. <laughs> oh, man. man, it's so, it's so very specific, man. Um, but it's funny, like, because, like, okay, you know, just, petite little thing with long hair and you know shall we say bright skin and 
no one to that point had been feeding me certain ideas around what I was supposed to find attractive. Yeah. So there was something intuitive for me about like, oh, I like this person. I don't entirely know why. I just know that I do. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't as I was much older that I was able to kind of situate those desires within this larger world and realm of, oh, here are things that people tend to desire more or less. Here are ways that we often get taught consciously and unconsciously to focus our desires and our energies in a certain way. But particularly with respect to game, those desires become so strong, so dominant, so prevalent that we need to figure out a way to fulfill them. And so game becomes a means to an end, a way of solving what presents itself as a problem. Problem being, I have these desires for this person or those persons. but there are various social obstacles to me freely exercising that desire. So I got to find a way to navigate that without, uh, you know, trying to storm the gates because that's not a thing we do. And under con conditions of enthusiastic consent, you need to be sure that those you desire desire you mm -hmm. consensually. Um, so all of that to say, like this desire piece seems to be a big part of how and why, uh, this desire to develop game emerges and comes up. Yeah. I question for you, that book that you referenced, is that the one where it's talking about like, I guess, peacocking or doing things that draw people into asking questions? Cause I, I, there was a guy at my undergrad who would not take off the little club wrist wristbands so he had like an armful of wristbands I, I and uh -huh. it did not occur to me until you mentioned this book like I didn't think I haven't thought about that in over 10 years but like he used to just have an armful of these goofy wristbands and I used to wonder like do you shower with these but is that is that the same book like you I, yes, I, absolutely. Because this this came out in the early two thousands, like two thousand five. It's yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, so it's it speaks to the whole thing, right? And so mm -hmm. I guess because because my own methods of game were it's not like they were so super sophisticated. I won't judge too much, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, I I can I can remember trying to elevate my my fashion to to have some some nicer options with clothes i mean money was tight so i really had to go for those uh what was it like the the five for 25 the five for 25 champs polos yeah <laughs> one wash and those things were done um yeah, yeah. so I, I you know you had to you had to come up with that i was always looking to have a a a fresh pair of we call them G Nikes in in Louisiana. Uh, I think everyone else calls them Air Force Ones or some other form of that. Uh, but them all whites, them all whites were a great touch. They did not last long, um, but it was always good to get those off on the fit. Um, hey man, smelling good was important as as uh, a way of 
uh, having having game. And I'm thinking just about my college years and late high school. Um, <laughs> I I had a I had a a friend uh, a female friend who shared with me who I talked to about like my colognes that I picked, and she picked <laughs> yeah. one of me because we used to go to a bowling alley uh, to hang out you know, from like 10 to midnight, 1 a.m. Uh, that was like the mm-hmm. high school spot in Baton Rouge, uh, the Circle Bowl. And uh, this girl was dancing with me at the Circle Bowl <laughs> and she smelled my cologne and she cologne and said, is that Burberry Touch? <laughs> and it was in fact Burberry Touch, uh, which smells great. Like until this day, it smells great. Um, and it smells great. Hashtag Omarion. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um she she would make fun of me about uh that girl asking me about my cologne. <laughs> uh but smelling good and so leaning in to your to your thing, yeah. Being being a smart guy was something that I tried to 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 use to my advantage and to to use selective. Now I had to be careful because you don't want to flex the vocab a little too much. Um but that was was something I leaned on. And though I am, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of embarrassed to say it, but you know, like we all grow and we learn and there's grace for young Edwin. I will use my singing voice too, to, <laughs> <laughs> to try uh, and, and garner attention. I mean, like all of this was, they were, they were ways that I felt like I could use what was natural to me to be able to get the kind of attention that I wanted. I think what what stands out in terms of the thinking is like if i knew that ultimately i did want the attention of these specific people that i was interested in um if i wanted these women to like me back i felt like i had to you know do some level of convincing about the like my worthiness for attention and um having game felt like the way to do that. Like I had to figure out how to navigate getting someone's number. And then after that, I needed to figure out how to be consistently interesting so that I wasn't just hitting somebody up and saying, hey, how's it going? What are you doing? What's going on? How's your day? You know, cause I didn't want to be boring because that wasn't good game clearly. But like, what could I possibly be asking you? I don't even know you, which points to one of the great fallacies that's built into this exchange, right? Like when there, there, I felt so much pressure around initiating these interactions with people that I didn't really know. And the whole impetus for me wanting to initiate the interaction was me looking at somebody's physical beauty and saying, hmm, I'm interested in you. And it would be so great if I found out that one, you are as well interested in me, like as I show up to you, you you're interested in that. And then we could develop something that that could be long lasting and fruitful for for both of us. Um, But really like the, the quiet part is like, I wanted to sleep with these people. Like that's, that's, this is this is what the exchange is like and 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 i just i feel like we 
in this talk about how we engage with each other and in game, like it's hard for me to reach a logical con conclusion about what we're really saying that strays away from ultimately this is an expression of your desire to sleep with each other. Like what that's what else is there? Because I, you don't know anything about each other. And, and the process of getting to know somebody takes time and it takes engagement and it takes interest. But that's not always what's happening in that exchange. No, no, it is, it is not. What's happening in that exchange is a primal level of, hmm, something in me feels something about you. And in the words of the epic musical group 504 boys, you ain't got to say too much, dot, dot, dot. I'm going to leave it at that because hey, this ain't listen, a family show, on but. The day, on the day that Juvie dropped uh, his tiny desk, I think that that was as appropriate a reference as we've ever had. So bravo and kudos to you. Thank you. Thank you kindly. Um, please respect my privacy at this time. Um, so <laughs> to this point, though, what I'm thinking about is how game is not just about what you say. It's about the impression you create. It's about the feeling generated by the other things that you do. <laughs> what I, I think I think of the there's this joke about how there's only two rules to dating. One, be attractive. Two, don't be unattractive. And the Not idea me. here being right, and and it's it's funny because I will often I will when when I have these conversations with people, what I will talk about sometimes is this idea of okay, so be attractive. How do you show up? How do you present? And when you Talk about the the little the little touches like that that cologne Literally. or that certain shirt, right? You know, um, come on, little wordplay. That's part of the game too, right? But <laughs> when you when you do these things that seem superficial, it produces real and material changes and shifts in how you're understanding yourself, how you feeling yourself. It's like when you when you walk into a room and you know you got it together. You're not worried about how people are reading you because you already know how you read yourself. Sure. And, and it doesn't mean that people are necessarily going to you know, give you play or respond in the way that you desire, but it does mean that you're not thwarted, you're not bothered, you're not thrown off when somebody's not feeling what you're giving out. Because this is the other piece about it too, that game is not about some fantasy illusion of being able to immediately generate reciprocal desire based on what you desire, but rather it's about developing a dynamic understanding of how to engage people in a way that makes that possibility more likely than unlikely. Mm -hmm. And I think there, there's certainly there are certainly ways that when I think about my kind of development over time, um, one of the one of the big things for me, and this I don't think this is this is why game becomes this really tricky terrain, is on some level, yes, it is performance. 
Mm-hmm. But I also believe all of human life is a kind of performance. Mm. The question is what makes those performances meaningful? What makes them feel authentic or real? Um, and even then, we're, we're making choices about how we want to appear. So how do I want people to authentically understand me? You know, I wasn't, <laughs> you weren't born wearing Burberry Touch, but when you put it on, it became a part of a whole presentation, a whole mystique that now gets attached to the idea of you. But to this point, what people are attracted to and reacting to immediately is the idea of a person. And Gamble's a level is about what's the idea that I create in another person's mind about who I am. Because mm-hmm. really, it's like you giving them the raw material with which to make their own decisions. Uh, Even as you are very aware of how you are trying to slant the playing field in favor of them leaning in the direction you want. Now, is that good or bad? Like, is that moral or ethically problematic? Uh, You know, I think think that, I think it depends on context. But what I will say is, is this, Part, part of the notion of game, I think, is the desire for someone to appear as though they have it figured out. Mm-hmm. That like they're not they're not fumbling and stumbling and bumbling like, uh, you know, uh, you know, perhaps maybe I could. Uh, perhaps we could ascertain. Ascertain, uh, <laughs> you know, a rendezvous at a, at a later time. Right. <laughs> Shout out to Spice Adams. Um but even even and for those who if you have not watched uh spice adams on social media his skits are absolutely hilarious very comical dude former nfl player who i'm sure knows something about game both on and off the field but in any event you know he's got these skits where he talks about the way a dude acts and talks before he gets his hair cut versus how he acts after and Whenever he gets the haircut after, he usually starts playing uh uh the joint by uh Jay Jay Dillon Slow yeah. Village Players. Yes. <laughs> and uh he's got that characteristic laugh. <laughs> right. And uh, I was like, girl, you crazy, right? And uh, but it's this whole like performance of like, yo, I'm cool now. I got the fresh cut, I'm looking good, I'm feeling good, I'm talking good. And you know it too. So there, like, there's there's a real and palpable a way, like, because folk, you know, people people can talk about how, like, mm, you know, is game disingenuous? Is it dishonest? But what happens if we acknowledge that sometimes the performance works because everybody's in on the performance and they want to be swept up. They want to be blown away. They want to feel something, right? <laughs> you said can't nobody can't nobody be selling dreams successfully if ain't nobody buying them, right? <laughs> you you cash it in all your chips like dream me, please. Like, <laughs> that's that's real. I I do. So I I don't vilify the idea of game entirely. I, I I'm not uh-huh. at that place, right? Uh, mm-hmm. because like if i if i i was asking myself the question do i think of game as performance and yes and no because at, at the at the point i was in my life in in college and even early graduate school right like 
the things that I was displaying may have been like perhaps outsized versions of what was actually within me, but they weren't things that I didn't like and they weren't things that I didn't believe. They were just, you know, played up. It was kind of like advertising. It's like you're this real life billboard for the things that you're trying to to sell folks about yourself, right? Like, so in that way, I agree with you. Like, I I wanted to 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 give off like these are the perks of being with a guy like me. This is you you could have somebody who could who could hit these notes and and sing to you in the morning. You know, that you know it probably is a little too revelatory about how <laughs> ridiculous I was at that time. Thankfully, we grow, and I will repeat: there is grace for Man. that person of me my god um but hey, you know i ain't gonna i ain't gonna lie though i did well <laughs> i'm gonna let you finish but man I, you got me thinking about some real smooth moments i had and i listen i, can't lie. Listen. I was like bro you I, I, I don't i've got some good highlights i'm not even gonna sit up here in front like it's not all bad i can i can Bruh. be a little bit self-deprecating but trust and believe like I got some, I got some, some, some W's that I pulled out with some last second shots in any case. <laughs> um, the truth of it is, it's not just something that the guys bought into. Like yeah. part of the, part of what made this seem legitimate and made it seem like the way I say the rules of engagement is that I, I watched I watched the women I was interested in respond to it. And so yep. it was important to me to, because I desire so much to be desired, it was important to me to embody these behaviors so that I could get to feel what that was like. You know, like, so um, I think I, I, I think game can rise to the level of being deceptive. I think when we're not honest mm -hmm. about what our intentions are, when we uh, are selling people dreams that are out and out lies, like those things can certainly rise to the level of deception. And I think I'll even go as far as to say, and I think this was something that I heard first, this concept of game as deception, I heard first from an interview that Kendrick Sampson did some years ago. Um, mm -hmm. I don't remember, and he's the the actor who played uh, Nathan in in Insecure, um, but I don't remember the context of uh, of the interview or or who he was being interviewed by. But I do remember like this kind of selling of yourself, this selling of the idea of you, um, and and the him submitting to the idea of, of that selling this idea of yourself in some of these outsized ways was kind of built on, on deception. The idea of trying to, to impress upon somebody who you are uh, through some of these methods is it's like, I'm trying to get you to see things that may not be there in the ways that, um, that, that, I, that I'm presenting them. I think where I land is not, an all or nothing definition. I think that it can, a game can rise to the level of deception, but I think it probably exists more in a, a space of some level of authentic, perhaps outsized performance and 
like at its worst deception and existing on the spectrum between. Um, and I, I think it has no choice but to operate like that because how how else do you communicate yourself to someone when you're interacting with somebody who piques your interest in these ways like they're not getting the fullness of who you are they're not getting the dark parts they're not necessarily hearing the things that make you sad or have brought you down um they're not seeing you in anger they're not seeing you in frustration and and moments that are not as appealing it's often in situations where I'm dressed well and, you know, where my, my locks are freshly twisted, as I can say for the first time in my life as I did that today. So, you know, um, it's these situations that aren't necessarily contrivances, but they're not necessarily your, your average day. It's 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 all some level of selling something. And I think if we're honest about that and if we if we can internalize that idea, it puts us in a better position to interact authentically and also to receive each other better and with more grace and perhaps uh, with more measured responses. Yeah. It occurs to me, game is really like portrait mode on your phone's camera. Ooh. It's you, but in the best light possible. I like it. And snaps. And it, I'm like, hey, it's <laughs> the picture is of me. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. But best it reminds me, you know, there, there are limits, right? Like, I mean, there's portrait mode and then there's like super heavy filters that are like streamlining your face and adding cheekbones and doing things not that are just not actually, <laughs> it's not your face. It's like, I don't, I don't know what artificially uh, generated, you know, facsimile of a human visage you are presenting, but that ain't you. Even if it's you, right? Even if the raw material is you. But to that to that extent, the ability to kind of build a narrative, build a story off a little bit of something true, uh, off a little bit of embellishment, a little bit of playing things up, there is a difference between having game and being a player. And within that dynamic, I'm also reminded of the gendered dimensions of how the idea of game gets talked about. Because... One, like I, I think about, I think about the ways we navigate we navigate these uh social dynamics on the basis of gender. Say, for instance, you know, a place where the concept of game comes into play significantly in undergrad. I remember getting an undergrad, you know, fresh out of my deeply churched and deeply uh, parochial schooled existence, and going to you know this party at the afghan cultural center and you know folk are dancing and the lights are low like and i felt so out of my element because i was like you know there are things happening here that i feel like can't happen in normal space but are somehow okay here like I can't normally walk up behind a woman and eh, you know start 
gyrating against her backside with my genitals. That's not a thing you can do in everyday life. That's called assault. In the space of parties, there was this weird, but there was this like weird thing in which part of what's being measured is also your social facility in navigating unspoken rules. Because mm-hmm. you ain't want to look, you ain't want to be the dude who's like doing too much and being corny. And it's like, oh, why, why are you being like that? Just dance or don't dance. Like, what you what are you doing? Um, but you so you it's like you you don't want to approach it in a way that seems like you're tentative or like, uh, you know, perhaps can we ascertain a, a dance on you know the next song? Um, if that's what you're feeling. It's like, nah, it's too too many caveats, just like <laughs> fortune favors the brave in those con- in those contexts. But also I think about the dynamics of you know, you start, and I, I would see this too often. And I never wanted to be this guy. Guy who starts dancing with some girl. She looks at her homegirls. A whole lot of nonverbal communication goes on. Sometimes she finds a way to like, you know, peek over that shoulder to see like, mm, what's this dude looking like? Is he worth giving my time, attention, and, you know, physical <laughs> affections for the length of this song? And sometimes mm-hmm. the answer was no. And she quickly gravitated away. Sometimes her homegirls came over and spirited her away, you know, like spirited her away, <laughs> grabbed her by the hands. It's like, oh, we're going to, uh, you know, I've so been I know tempted to tempted to touch his own, but uh, <laughs> tempted to touch now because we out. Right. And but there were these gender dimensions to it such that. You know. If I was going to dance with a woman. I more often had to take the proactive stance. Uh, And particularly in a heterosexual dating or courtship dynamic, more often than not, men are expected to make the move. And the expectation is that you make this move and in so doing, demonstrate your readiness, your preparedness, that like you got your stuff together. And it's like, no, no one... No one, no one gives you grace for not having it together. It's like you either on your game or you not. And if you not, <laughs> it might you might not just lose that round. You might lose successive ones because they're like, I can't believe. Can you believe so and so tried to talk to me? Like he is so whack. He is so corny. Blah blah blah. And while while I will add the, the other thing though, right? That like this concept of game and the gender dimensions around it reveals is that people. People know fully well when they think something is corny. Mm-hmm. And in context, they know exactly what that means. And we talked about this before, and I want to mention it here on, as we put it on wax. When the uh, long uh, and perhaps too long internet discourse regarding uh, NFL football player Russell Wilson and uh, entertainer Sierra and the dynamics and development of their relationship, which, man, I'm very happy for them. Man, I love to see people flourish. I'm yep. a fan of Black love. Do your thing. Rock country. Let's ride. <laughs> yes, let's ride. Um, but, like, <laughs> the, the thing that irked me was people operating as though they can't understand how, like, corniness contextually is about the way a certain thing, a certain performance, a certain statement lands in a given situation it's not necessarily a designation of your personhood for all time 
even funny people sometimes say something that's corny. It's like, oh, bro, that was corny. Like, never say that again. And, and, and there are these social dynamics and kinds of policing that we use to tell each other, like, mm, that ain't it. Don't yep. do that again. Or, no, that outfit is corny. Don't wear that. Don't wear those shoes, those jeans, that shirt, that headband, that accessory. Nah. But now, what irked me was people pretending like, so, you know, I, 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 read the transcript of this interview that Russell Wilson did um, with the pastor of this church. And, you know, R Russell, Russell Wilson um, is a, a devout Christian. Uh, you, you might even, you might even be able to, to slot him within the kind of evangelical Christian space Yikes. in terms, and you can take that as you will. But <laughs> in, in his, in this interview, he talks about, uh, he said, yeah, you know, God told me, I want you to, I want you to lead her. And this was it with respect to Sierra. Now, I frame it this way. Imagine, you know, Joe Schmo in his uh, first Sunday deacon suit, you know, comes up to you, you know, a vi viable and attractive young woman that says, Hey, you know, uh, God, God told me I should lead you. Uh, you would clown that dude. You would clown him, and you you would tell no, the deservedly girl, like, so, deservedly hey. so. And you would tell that dude. You would tell your friends how corny this dude is. Like, oh, I can't believe he said that. Like, who is he? What is he thinking? Oh, like, he did not say that to me. God right, did not say that to me. Right. God ain't tell you that. Right. So now if you can understand contextually how that would be corny, let's not pretend we can't understand how the statement itself could be read as corny. Right. Could be read. But in the context of this framework, it's easier to read it as sincere. Why? Because what Russell Wilson does not have going for him in terms of a rhetorical flair and panache. And I mean, listen, it's not to say he's not well-spoken, but nothing about his rhetorical comportment in public space suggests to be a guy who has game or has had to have game. I don't know, Kyle, because he was on Kevin Hart's XM radio show sharing that wallet line that he dropped about how she saw his wallet and she was like what's that uh you're losing with that and he said he's he, he, you're never losing with him and then he talk, talked about how the wallet showed consistency so i don't know man like he was he was he was dropping lines that are only acceptable when you have russell wilson's wallet and i don't mean the physical part of that wallet exactly this and this is my point we get like two things can be true at, at the same time in in a vacuum that statement can be like yo that would be real corny if it came from this other person from me because from me right and at the same time we can acknowledge that dude clearly has stuff going for him and man, I'm nobody's hater. Like I celebrate that dude seemingly got out of a out of a marriage that wasn't working with somebody who was definitely not Sierra. Take that as you will. That is <laughs> such a 
coded and loaded statement. Continue. <laughs> he dude is at the top of his game, literally. Uh, you know, not so much last couple seasons, but I mean, one of the yes. three yep. black quarterbacks to ever win a Super Bowl. Undeniable. Right. He's going to be a Hall of Famer at some point. Yes. Dude has made goo gobs of money. He's handsome. Like he clearly takes good care of himself. So I'm like, it's it makes sense why somebody would say, hey, here's a guy I'm willing to listen to. Even if he says something that in another context and coming out of somebody else's mouth will sound really corny. Mm -hmm. So all of this to say, right, game ain't just about what you say. It's also about fundamentally the atmosphere you create. And a certain atmosphere of comfort, security, and possibility is created when you can talk about your wallet metaphorically <laughs> in a certain respect. And the social proof of you being at the top of your game, like how many millions upon millions of people watch the Super Bowl and watch this man win? Like he is a proven winner in his chosen profession, his field of life. Mm -hmm. So, but so I say, I say all of that to say that we got to be real about the things that pull and attract people. Like I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't go to nobody talking about like, well, you know, what God told me about them. Like, uh, that ain't, well, I mean, you could maybe to certain people, but like not necessarily people you want. Right. This is a party of um, media. Y'all can't see my face, but yeah, I would not do that. <laughs> right. I, disclaimer: I would never mm. do that ever. Yep. Um, <laughs> dangerous. Don't. No. <laughs> do not resuscitate. Now, um, I can't say that I never did, unfortunately. But grace for younger Edwin. But today, mm. no. no uh -uh. <laughs> and and so, man. But you say you say something. I think here that's really really important. And it has to do with the ways that our socialization, particularly when I'm thinking about the socialization of young black men in church space. Yeah. There's a, there's this cultivation of a kind of notion of sincerity and purpose mm -hmm. and manliness and courtship and, and so forth, that a way that you're supposed to act. Essentially, you're being given the Christian version of game that's supposed to work mm -hmm. on, you know, that godly woman you're supposed to uh desire to make your help me or your wife and, I, and i'm talking like this on purpose because no. i <laughs> i feel various ways about all of that but as someone who was churched as an adult like i didn't necessarily grow up in church help me has just always been a term that i am so like i'm both fascinated and tickled by it like why why ne never mind could see i'm sorry Kyle. i, I keep interrupting <laughs> No, no, no. You good. You good. I, I appreciate the 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 inter the interspersed words, man. Because you're reminding me too of once again with this the theme of unlearning. I had to unlearn some problematic things that like yeah. maybe theoretically worked in a certain kind of churched or Christianized vacuum. Mm -hmm. But once you start engaging real people with different experiences, different backgrounds, different interests and hopes, you realize that, oh, wait, you can't engage people as just figures within some larger framework you've already decided on. You actually need to be able to engage them as the people that they are. Mm 
and be able to make good decisions about whether or not like the person they are and the person you are actually even makes sense. Uh, cause as, as much as, uh, cause I will say this, you know, the good, the good churched people are, and Christian folk are not exempt from, um, making decisions based on those warm, tingly feelings. I think they just often were more likely to attribute some of that to, you know, oh, oh is that the Lord? Is that the spirit? It, <laughs> and, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that those things can't be coextensive. I am saying I've been that dude who thought for sure, like you couldn't tell me nothing about what I knew. And I knew, oops, yeah, this is going to be my wife here. That's it. But like, <laughs> so rather than cult, they, so there's this, I hadn't thought about this before we started talking, but like, there's a weird way that growing up in church and being uh, shaped and formed according to this particular masculine and manhood ideal also shapes its own kind of game that like, here's a way to navigate this path towards a certain means to an end. Word. And I'll say on that, as somebody who you know, got to, to church later, there is almost like this built-in way of thinking that pushes us towards less agency in our decision-making and trying to attribute these things. And I guess kind of retrofit God to our desires such that we can make our desires be more than just like these whims, these human, you know, fleeting feelings and have more significance and, and and that's not me you know belittling anybody else's stuff you know mm-hmm. i am 100% locked into the idea that we all do not have the same experiences and that we all don't experience god the same way and so there's that please do not hear me saying that you know if your partnership and your relationship was God sent in a specific way and you use the line that Russell Wilson used and you are happy in your marriage. Like, ain't nothing wrong with that. You good. But what I found is so often, like I, I was just kind of, I feel like God was inviting me to make decisions for myself. And I was trying to justify what I felt based on trying to, to 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 elevate it as coming from God and not from me as if that would like further validate the feelings that I had and I had to kind of r- walk that back and now I don't I don't really think of it in that way I think that I'm in a position to to co-create my life with God with me being like someone who gets the responsibility of creating, not just waiting for God to just drop it in my lap. And sometimes like, you know, God will bless in that way, but that's, that's not always how it looks. And I recognize that there's also quite a manipulative tone that can be set when you lead with that. And that Mm -hmm. felt really uncomfortable to me as I kind of unpacked it and thought about it. Um, and I, I don't, I don't, that's not how I want to, that's not how I want to kick it. So uh, I moved away from that. 
Um, in terms of thinking about whether we still ascribe to game, and I, I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, mm-hmm. I I don't I don't know that I think of myself as having game at this point, and not that I don't think I could garner romantic attention, but I I just don't think of it as like this thing where I have to advertise myself so much um i think the more i have become comfortable within myself the more i have done the work of getting to know myself and the the more i've gained wisdom just from living the more it's allowed me just to kick it how i kick it and recognize when I'm feeling some how someone else is operating and also be able to get a sense of when they're feeling how I'm how I'm doing mine. And that being a guiding force for, you know, the types of relationships that get developed, rather than me trying to cultivate explosive fireworks in real time. Uh, just because I see someone and think that they're attractive. I, I just don't find myself in situations where I'm trying to uh, create these uh, hot burning chemical reactions uh, so quick. Yeah. Uh, and, and and that may be because I've, I've lived through enough of those situations that have not been particularly fruitful such that I don't think that that's the way I'm going to approach things or I, it may just be like the place that I'm going to be uh, for the rest of the time I'm doing this. Um, but today I'm just not in, in the position where like, I, I think about it that way. Like I will, I, it's not that I'm not going to, you know, dress up and it's not that, you know, I won't tear it down on a karaoke machine if I'm in that, situation (laughs) it's just that i'm not trying to sell anything i'm just out here living my life so do you find yourself like do you think of yourself as having game still is that is that something that you would ascribe to your character today man i i was i was sitting with this question as you were posing it and So my short answer is yes. Okay. But with caveats. I'm not I'm not actively out here trying to curry the favor of um the women that I meet. I will say what I came to understand over time was that part of what we feel works about game doesn't necessarily have to be fake, artificial, but rather I, I think some of it can just be <clears throat> a a thoughtful extension of who we are at the core. So for me, and and I would say some of the women I've engaged with would probably read some of my patterns of communication as like oh you know this this dude think he's smooth he think he's saying something blah 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 and 
it helps that I do think I'm saying something. I think I talk well. I think I, I know how to navigate social situations, right? And so for me, this idea of game perhaps shifted more to a philosophy of social competency. Mm-hmm. I know how to handle myself in different situations. Um, I do not freeze up around women. Doesn't mean I find them any less attractive than I did when I was a younger kid who was a bit more hot and bothered. But it is to say that I understand them as human beings, there it is. levelly human with me, and not persons to whom I need to ascribe a certain kind of ascendant or aspirational power. Uh, but people who, you know, they got to do the same things every other human does when they wake up, their breath stinks, and they need a shower. You know, when uh, like you and, and I say that as a way of like not a denigration, but just like, yo, that's basic human stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, fam, you need to like wash your behind and brush your teeth like <laughs> daily. Right. But when I think about those things on the basic level, it was like, OK, well, you don't need to think of them as some people who are like other or out of reach or requiring you to navigate some wide gulf. But like, no, actually, they're human beings like you. So engage yeah. them as you would human beings about whom you are curious, about uh, whom you are interested. Um, but I will also say, and this was a, a kind of inadvertent thing, but something I came to truly believe. And so I think it became a part of the way that I showed up, particularly in spaces with women. Namely, I really genuinely believed that on a certain level, I'm not the one doing the choosing. You are. And I got to a space where I would communicate very honestly with women, you know, not, not so much as not even on the, like, here, I'm going to show you my hand so you can see what I'm no tricks here up my sleeve. Right. Um, But just as a way of acknowledging, I'm not here to push you towards anything. I am here to engage you, engage your interests, share my interests, but under normative conditions of enthusiastic consent, Ain't nothing going down unless you choose and you desire for it to be so. So I'm not going to pretend that it's any other way, mm-hmm. which for me, once I've stopped pretending, I'm like, like I say, you know, <laughs> if you tell the truth, you ain't got to remember the lies you told. Well, so that's how I try to move, man, is just with and if and if that's considered game, like, well, maybe maybe it's an understanding that underneath the veneer of the thing we call game there maybe is a desire for people to feel something real yeah and if if the admission if the vulnerability to say like hey i actually believe the power is in your hands and you're free to exercise that as you choose or don't choose um if that's game then okay maybe so but it's not it's born from a place of actually wanting to open up a more enlightening more enriching more satisfying kind of connection and not just one based on an immediate chemistry because the the chemistry stuff is cool until it ain't and the other questions and insecurities start to creep in because once, because if you start off on that and are trying to sustain that high, sometimes you find yourself addicted to the chase for that high and unable to actually do the deeper work that helps you transition 
into a sustainable flow of yeah. connection and relationship. And I think I'm no longer interested in introducing folks to a vibe that I can't sustain. I think that's that's a big part of it. I'll add this. Um, another part of this exchange is like I I I tried to practice. Probably this is probably late late twenties, early thirties. I think mm-hmm. I tried to to practice getting out of the habit of sexualizing my interactions with women, mm-hmm. so that I wouldn't like be defaulting to oh this person is attractive. What if we were able to strike something up that led to uh, physical interactions? Like I, I, I really actively worked on not doing that because I, I just I stopped seeing it as a a pattern that was beneficial to me. I think like mm-hmm. sexualizing everybody that you're attracted to is kind of a recipe for disaster. And it doesn't just let mm-hmm. you have legitimate relationships with people that are just platonic and fine. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, by not, by getting myself out of that habit, I think it opened up space for me to have meaningful, dope relationships with people. And it also made it so I didn't feel like the pressure of performance around mm. folks. So I didn't have to be constantly sampling the environment for how I was being received. Yeah. Mm, that's 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 very real. In this stage of my adult life, my appetite for performing in order to garner favor is just not there. Nope. I ain't got like, it. It's like I, I'm I'm going to show up in the way that feels right and good for me. And if you rock with that, cool. And if you don't, also cool. But for me, it, it matters more that I am making conscious decisions about the person I want to be, the way I want to show up in the world versus uh, being driven just by desire because desire is fleeting, man. And Sometimes the worst thing about desire is getting what you want. <laughs> and finding out like, oh, bruh, this is, this ain't it. Yeah, man. Well, we're, uh, yeah, we're going to bring back really bruh real quick. So Let's go. some current events have happened that we just want to address and we will do so after this. Kyle, the so-called Supreme Court is out here wilding, and I think we would we would be remiss not to say something about it. So for this week's really bruh, as we have moved into an era where affirmative action is no longer uh, codified in our law, it's now illegal, and where uh, you can deny folks service based on their LGBT, excuse me, LGBTQ plus uh, identity. And mm-hmm. also where they they took away the, they didn't even, they didn't even forgive the student loans and they took away the forgiveness. I mean, what are we doing? What are we talking about? 
man, I feel like every day the screws are just getting tighter on folks. And that ain't that ain't good, man. With respect to the Supreme Court decision around affirmative action. First, to me, it's just a confirmation of the ways that this nation has, I believe, long wanted to see and understand itself as race neutral and colorblind. Mm-hmm. And it does this in a legal way that is not reflective of social practice. You can't pretend that a legacy of chattel slavery and the subsequent social, economic, and political fallout of those events doesn't still reverberate today. As you know, some of my scholar friends would put it, we are still living in the afterlife of slavery. And to pretend as though the token advancement of a few people negates that reality is patently false it's it's just no that's not that's not the case and i'm sensitive to this in a particular way as one who and i know you can relate has been held up as a kind of black exceptional model or case right someone that folks should aspire to be like me or do what i did and i think about how how many one how many things had to go right but also how many opportunities were made available to me that just weren't made to others. And they're going to be made available to fewer because of this notion that um, how we are situated socially and racially and ethnically in this nation is utterly irrelevant to thinking about how we might be situated in academic institutions. the real the real gag to me is going to be when and like there's a there's far too much for us to get into it now but i also think about how certain uh conservative uh political entities and figures who have wanted to make a stronger case against affirmative action have uh taken it upon themselves to to rally certain racial and ethnic minorities in order to support their cause and all, all of it to say, man, like we're we're in some really ugly and crazy times, man. Affirmative action, rolling back, Roe v. Wade, um, the stuff with you know the you know, people being able to refuse service. Um, it's as though people really get off on being terrible. And having justifications legally and otherwise for their terribleness. Where, um, you know, I, I, I mean, it goes without saying. I'm, I'm certainly disappointed by um, the the these baseless conclusions that our our highest court has come to, um, and. I think it's ridiculous that um, effectively six people get to decide who gets to have rights and who doesn't. Um, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit there. I, I like you said. I think that there's there's a lot to be said, and 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 on this episode we ain't got time to say it. Um, what I what I want to point out is something that you share with me 
quite a while ago. Maybe you said this as we were recording the episode sometime. I don't remember. We talk so much. I don't I don't know when we said the things, but um you pointed to like the the, the Exodus story and how um we can be we can very much see ourselves and our lives and i think capitalism and the specific narratives of the life's lives of of black folks in america um speak to a desire for us to want to have a promised land experience like we want our lives we want our specific part of the narrative to be the part where we're we've arrived we've gotten there and where we get to enjoy the land of milk and honey where we where we get the abundance and i i want to invite us into the the uncomfortable but um honest and truthful reality of the fact that perhaps our narratives are not the promised land narratives. And perhaps where we are today is in a space of yet working towards the promised land for those who come behind us. And while I think it's important for us to acknowledge the unfairness of that truth and to be clear about the fact that we did not create the circumstances in which we have to operate. We are not responsible for things being the way that they are. We yet have uh, a responsibility to do more than just take care of ourselves um, and to create a, a future and a reality um, for those who come behind us that is is better than the one that's being built. And so we have a responsibility as big as the one that our ancestors had before us of not giving up, of hoping that it would be better, of pushing through awful circumstances in the hope that the work that we do, the sacrifices that we make will result in like a true freedom for those who come behind us. And I think it's just really important for us to not get so discouraged in the arc of our own narratives that we don't see ourselves as a part of a greater arc that um, did not begin and end with us and does not begin and end with us. And so that is a, a hard reality. It could be even read as a harsh reality, um, but it is one that I think that there is, um, there is so much peace available in the, in the recognition of that truth. Yeah, man. I'm I'm reminded daily that we're both in times that are unprecedented, but are also, as the saying goes, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it definitely rhymes. Yeah. 
And so the situations that we're facing are not things that you know people have never faced before. I do think with every successive generation, we have to find our ways of speaking to our present and of facing the, the kinds of social, political, economic challenges we're facing. Um, you know, it's hard out here. And the fascinating thing to me is how with all of these kinds of daily events unfolding that point towards an ever widening gulf between those who have and those who have not, <laughs> folks will still try to convince you that, well, if you just get yourself up by your bootstraps, mm-hmm. which even that that sort of saying, the whole idea is that you can't pick yourself up by bootstraps. Like the, the, the saying emerges from the acknowledgement that that's an impossible task. Yeah. And so what we face are not just circumstances that can be alleviated by some individual achievement or exceptionalism. And it's a whole nother conversation, but this is why like black excellence narratives for me are like, that's cute, but that ain't saving us. Nope. At best, it might situate you a little better relative to a decaying and crumbling situation. And that's, you know, that's about it. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, we've been talking about game all day. And boy, show feels like we get played. Listen, get your rest. Take the time you need. But when it comes down to it, we have work to do. And the work is going to be here because those who are creating the problems are yet committed to creating them. So, yo, we got stuff to handle. On that note. Thank you for listening to another episode of Black Men Unlearning. We thank you uh, for rocking with us, for journeying with us, for listening. Uh, Follow, rate, highly, review, uh, share with friends, grow the community. Uh, We're just glad to be able to do this, and we will catch you on the next one. All right, y'all. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Black Men Unlearning podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Black Men Unlearning and email us at blackmenunlearning at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to podcasts.